Hello, everyone. Well, we're back, and we're trying this again. Um, we think it's probably a problem with an overload of uh, technology being used right now, but guess what? That ain't going to stop us from preaching God's word and, and, and preaching the message. So um, we're glad that you guys could join us this morning. Uh, my name's Chris Polito. I'm the resident pastor at Gospel Community Church, and I'm just happy to be able to share this Easter service with you guys, this Easter morning. Um, so thank you for joining us. I know this isn't the Easter morning that a lot of you guys may have um, been planning, the, the Easter morning that a lot of you guys might not have been um, expecting to, to partake in, and, and things are a little different, and the world's a little different, but that's okay, because the reason we're gathered together and the reason that we're um, celebrating this day, that's the same. Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. And so I know um, it's, it's a little disheartening, maybe a little sad to think about the fact that all across our country there are empty churches, and, um, but I, I, I want to encourage you guys, don't, don't get too hung up on that. Don't get too hung up on the fact that all of our church buildings are empty because guess what? The tomb that Jesus was buried in over 2,000 years ago on this morning, it was empty too. So I want to take a second and look at that from Scripture. Um, I'm going to be reading really quick from John chapter 20, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 7. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, one of the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And he stooped, looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes but folded up by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and when he saw, he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The, the disciples went back into their homes. Amen. So even though our buildings are empty right now, even though the church buildings are empty, hey, we got something in common because so was the tomb. So um, we're just excited to have you guys around and being able to still gather. Even though it's in your homes, gather around together as a family. Hopefully you guys... Uh, got up and, and, and didn't break some traditions and got dressed up and ready for this occasion and are just um, enjoying time together in your home. And, and an Easter service, an Easter church service, a gathering to worship Jesus Christ doesn't have to be done in a building. If we take a look at the very first so-called Easter over 2,000 years ago, we got some stuff in common with it. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 20, and we're going to do 19 through 23. And it's, this is, so this is just down from where we read a second ago, and it says, on the evening of the first day, the first day of the week, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fears of the Jews came and stood among them, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sins, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So we got a lot in common with the, with the disciples on the day of Jesus' resurrection. They weren't gathered in a cathedral. They weren't gathered in a, in a large church building all together somewhere. They were gathered in their home. And the great part, the encouraging part about that is they were gathered in their home and Jesus came to them and said, peace be with you. So I know he is here with me in Nick and Jess's home right now. I know he is there with you in your homes right now. He's not constrained by time or geography. He is everywhere all the time. And I know that the Holy Spirit is there with you guys now. And so I'm excited to be preaching with you guys on this Easter morning. We're going to be continuing in our series of First Peter but while we're still heading through our teachings in 1 Peter, we're going to be taking a look at this in a little bit different of a lens, through a little bit different of a scope. So instead of doing a complete line-by-line -line study, I want us to see how what Peter is writing comes from the example of how Jesus lived his life. And we can see how that can translate into our lives. All the while, we're going to see him suffering for righteousness' sake and then all the way to the culmination of him being seated at the right hand of the Father. So as we go through the, this First Peter text and we go through this today, I want us to really keep something in mind. I want us to keep the reason in mind. Don't forget that today, this holiday, is about one person. And it's always been about one person. Today is about Jesus. And I want us to remember that today is about one event. The greatest event ever to happen in the history of the world. It will never be re re uh, matched when it comes to miraculous events. The resurrection. So as we go through the text and as we dive into these scriptures, I want you to constantly be thinking about the resurrection. I want you to constantly be thinking about Jesus and asking yourself, what does that mean to me? So before we jump into the text, join me with an opening prayer. Father God, we are so grateful that we are able to come to you. We're so grateful that we are able to come together and dive into your word and study scripture and honor Jesus on this day. Um, I pray for the people that are watching from their homes that have been bearing with us through the difficulties of, of technology and stuff. I thank you for them. I want to pray for them. I want to pray away any distractions, any tricks that Satan might try and use to pull them away from your word, from pull them away from hearing today's message of hope and of the resurrection. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice. It's in your beautiful name we pray. So if you want to take a second and turn your Bibles or your app, whatever you may be using, turn those to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 8 through 22. I'll give you guys a second to, to find those. First Peter chapter 3, 8 through 22. It starts out saying, Finally, 
all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Amen. That is God's word. So what I, I like to read the scripture so we can get the scope of the story and the scope of the context of what's being written and what's going on here. And, and as we know um, from Nick and Tony mentioning it in, in the weeks prior, um, Peter is writing to a group of exiles who, who are cast out and they're early believers and they're facing some persecution. And he, so he's writing to them to try and encourage them in this time. So now we're going to jump back and we're going to take this passage and take these scriptures and kind of unpack it a little by little and, and really look at it, like I said, through the scope of seeing Jesus. So verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So right here we have Peter telling us and these early Christians how we should treat one another. He's advising them. In this time he's saying, Christians, you guys should be all of one mind. You guys should be unanimous in your belief. You should be unanimous in your faith. And where uh, the Christians of this time, they were facing suffering persecution, he was telling them, this is a way that you should treat people during this, these conditions, during this time. He's, he's charging them in this moment, in this text, to say, have compassion for one another. Love each other as brothers. Pity those who are in distress. Be courteous to everybody. 
and, and dealing with these different types of suffering and persecution, it, it, it's easy to step outside of your, your faith and your beliefs and your, and your core characteristics and act out in a way that is not appealing to God. But he's saying, don't do that. Not here, not now. It's a way of easing the suffering, easing what you're going through, and just hold fast, hold fast to the faith that is in Christ. Now, if we uh, take that scope a little bit and think about Jesus' time on earth, we think about these uh, characteristics that were listed, humility and sympathy and brotherly love. We think about Jesus. He epitomized those actions and those characteristics. Nobody modeled what it looked like to be humble greater than him. Many times throughout Scripture, we see Jesus encounter people when he was spending his time on earth, we see him encounter people that are going through great suffering or great distress. Whether he encounters somebody that's demon-possessed, somebody that is um, sick with leprosy, whether they have physical ailments, they're crippled, or they've been uh, lame since birth and have never experienced the joys of freely moving around and walking, we see Jesus encounter these people, and we see him always encounter them with humility, sympathy, brotherly love, and always, always from a tender heart. So in verse 9, it goes on to say, do not repay evil for evil. Praise God that Jesus lived by this. Praise God that he didn't walk the earth with the mindset of repaying evil for evil. I want you to take a second here. I want you to take a second and think about your life. Think about all of the evil that you have done in your life from the time you were born until about 10 minutes ago. When I think about that, when I think about all of the evil that I've done in my life, I shudder. It, it hits a part of my heart and my soul that makes me shudder. And when I think about paying the price for all of the evil that I've done, oh man, that really makes the hair stand up. But we, we being in Christ, we can find rest and gratitude and solace in the fact that Jesus didn't live by repaying evil for evil. We know that we don't have to pay the price for all of that stuff that we just thought about and all of that stuff that we did. We find gratitude that Jesus paid that price for us. We find rest in the fact that all of that evil, all of those sins, all of the things that we were just thinking and, and thinking about, it's been covered. It's been covered on our behalf. So find rest in that. As we move on to verse 10, it says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So right here, he's kind of giving these, these early exiles an excellent prescription for a, a comfortable life in this quarrelsome and ill-natured world that they're facing. 
And he's not just giving them advice from his own uh, wisdom and understanding. We know Peter would be a, a little brash and out there, so we don't want to give him all the credit for this advice he's giving them right here. What he's telling them, he's actually quoting from the scriptures. He's quoting this from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 14. He's saying, if you earnestly desire that your life should be long and your days peaceable and prosperous, keep your tongue from reviling evil speaking and slandering and your lips from lying and deceit. He's saying, look, avoid doing any real damage to hurt your neighbor. He's saying, but be ever ready to do good. So even when we're in this rough world and things aren't looking like we wanted to, he's saying, peace will prevail. Seek peace with all men. He's saying, and pursue it. When you think about that a little bit, when you seek something, you know, you're aware of it, and you know it's out there, and you're kind of keeping your eye out for it, and if it comes along, great. But he's saying, pursue it. If you think of a pursuit of peace, it's a hunt. It's something that you became familiar with, something that you know is out there, something you want to portray to everyone. It becomes part of you. He's saying, pursue this with all people. And us as believers today in the world that we're going through, facing coronavirus and crazy shopping times and just everything has us rattled, seeking peace, pursuing peace to all men, that's the best way that we can reflect Christ in our lives to those around us. Now we go on to verse 13. We're going to cover 13 through 17 right here. Now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So what he's telling them right here, he's like, there's a way to improve on your sufferings. There's a way to improve on the things you're going through. He says, if you be followers of that which is good and yet suffer, this is suffering for righteousness' sake. In verse 14, he says, and you and, and glory will be yours. Happiness will be yours. He's saying your suffering will be made better. It entitles you to the blessings promised by Christ. And why is he telling them that? If we take a look at scripture and see why he's telling them that suffering for righteousness sake will, will improve them. It will give them promises of God. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at where Jesus is uh, having the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to read chapter 5, and we're going to go 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 11. He said, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then right here, this is what Peter is talking about. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Blessed are you, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, all, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's telling them right here, yeah, it's rough, but if you hold your conduct holy and you hold your conduct good and you are suffering for my sake, your kingdom is in heaven. And what he's kind of saying is, look, instead of terrifying yourselves of men, instead of having fear of men, be sure to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Don't fear, don't dread those that can only build, kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. And then he goes on, verse uh, 15, saying, um, this is where you've you got to be prepared, be ready to make a defense for the hope that is found in you. So he's saying every Christian at some point or other is, is bound to have to answer or make a defense for the hope that is in Christ. And as Christians, we should have a ready. We should have an answer at the ready. We should have a reason to, to um, share the hope that is found in Christ. And we do that by studying Scripture by knowing scripture, by being in a daily relationship with Christ. So when com someone comes to us and it's time to make a defense for our beliefs, we have one to answer. And he's saying, um, have it ready because it, it might not be once or twice or, or three times. Always be ready to make that defense. And he, he doesn't just say, be ready to make a defense. He doesn't say, have have your weapons ready to just Bible bash on somebody because they have different beliefs. He's saying do it in gentleness and respect. So the defense that we make, it may be necessary to, to do it multiple times. And the, these confessions of our faith, they should be made with meekness and with fear. And the defenses of our faith, they should be made with modesty and meekness in the fear of God. Then he goes on to 17 and he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We've seen that in the life of Christ. We heard that in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's like, God, take this cup from me, but not if it's your will. Christ, he knew, he knew it was going to be painful. He knew he was innocent. He knew he was faultless. He knew he was not the one to blame. But he also knew if it was the Father's will, it was worth suffering for that righteousness' sake. Now the last section, verses 18 through 22. It goes on to say, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were safely brought through the water. Baptism corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal 
for God, to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Amen. I could, I could end my sermon on those powerful words of scripture right there. But on this Easter morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, I want us to see three things in these final verses. I want us to see three things that we can see through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. First, kind of in the, the verse 18 area, his crucifixion shows purpose. It's not something that just happened. It's not something that had no follow-up repercussions or outcome. His persecution showed purpose. He says, in verse 17, he says, Christ also suffered. But, or in verse 18, he said, Christ also suffered. But in verse 17, remember him saying, it's better if it be the will of God to suffer for doing good. And then he does a full circle and he points right back to Jesus in 18. He says, for Christ also suffered. He suffered once for the sins of the, the just for the unjust. That is, he was just, we were unjust. He took on our punishment. He took our place that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. If there was ever anyone in the history of the world that suffered unfair punishment, it was Christ. He did everything right. And as much as we might suffer, and as much as we might uh, face trials and tribulations in our lives, here's kind of a perspective check. None of us will ever suffer to the magnitude that Christ had. None of us will ever experience anything like the gruesome, ex excruciating things that he went through. Yeah, life can get bad. Life can be tough for us. Life can throw its punches and knock us down. There can be pain, chronic pain, excruciating things in our body that are hard to, to deal with and handle. But nobody will suffer like this. The writer of Hebrews put it like this. In your struggle against your sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The crucifixion showed purpose. Now the resurrection, what does it show? The resurrection showed permanence. So not only was there a plan in place to give it purpose, but there was a plan in place that would go through eternity. Permanence. So they had arrested him. They had yelled at him. They cursed at him. They beat him. They killed him. He was forsaken by his disciples. He felt at least for a moment forsaken by his father. But all of that, all of that's about over. Yeah, he will die, but he will be raised. And the resurrection in that moment, the resurrection changes the playing field completely. It assures a permanence of life. There was a suffering, a suffering that led to death, but the death led to the resurrection. And that resurrection ensures not only for Jesus, but for all of us who are believers in Christ, that there will be a permanence. We will live forever. So I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what kind of suffering or persecution you're feeling. But if you're a believer in Christ, take some solace in this. This right now, Whatever you're going through, 
It's the closest that you will ever get to hell. It's all uphill from here. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, there is eternity in heaven promised to you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It only gets better. But on the flip side of that, there's another side to that coin. If you were not a believer, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're facing right now, whatever the highs are that you have right now, if you're not in Christ yet, this is as close as you'll ever get to heaven. There's permanence. Evaluate relationships. Evaluate your beliefs. Evaluate where you're at. Invite Christ into your life. There's permanence. And lastly, the thing I want to see from here is he was crucified, he was resurrected, and then he ascended and he was exalted. Jesus' exaltation, it shows us power. The final step in this journey is Jesus died. He was crucified. He resurrected. And then he left the earth. He took off. He ascended into heaven. Verse 22, he says, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers are submitted to him. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. At that name, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, all of those in heaven, all of those on earth, and all of those under earth. Every single being he has authority over. So he's, he's ascended, he's exalted, he's at God's right hand, and he's going to bring you with him. He's going to bring us with him. So yes, Jesus suffered. Yes, his suffering led to a painful death. Yes, his death led to a crucifixion. But from that crucifixion came a resurrection and an exaltation. So the whole point of this, the whole point of this is that Jesus was leading somewhere. His suffering was leading somewhere. His suffering was leading to glory, and so is yours. We're in a world right now that it's something like we've never seen we're experiencing a type of life that we've never experienced before. There's a virus running rapid through our, our world that's something we've never seen. We're, we are in isolation. The cities and states are on complete lockdown. I can promise you this. All of that is temporary. All of that will fade. And God will keep you. God will keep you by his side. Your future is secure because of the gift that we were given over 2,000 years ago. All of this that we face is temporary. Eternity in heaven, that's forever. So I thank you guys for joining me. I thank you guys for sharing in a message with me this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Nick up, and he is going to uh, take us through communion.